it's hard to actually break down that initial barrier of letting people know it's okay to need something. Yes. Like that's been a big point of frustration. Mm -hmm. Please tell me you need milk. I have milk in my fridge that I want to give to somebody. The problem is that we have this thing in our head where we need to be so self-sufficient and it's like this personal failure to need something. Like we have the most stuff of anyone ever, (laughs) but I think we've like locked ourselves into this thing of self-sufficiency at all costs. Welcome to the Really Real Podcast, a podcast completely and totally hosted by one person doing impressions of three people. Here's, um, Anson? Hello and welcome to episode 66 of the Really Real Podcast, a show where three friends sit down for a drink and some refreshingly honest conversation about real life. Here's what we've got on the docket for today's show. First up is quote of the week. Kara will be talking about how the gospel is not self-care. Then we have on Is It Just Me, Isaac, talking about how he's not a big fan of making phone calls (laughs) and might be happy never making a phone call again. Is that true? It's torture. (laughs) (laughs) And so we're going to be discussing whether that's just Isaac or whether that's a, a broader thing. Spoiler alert, I think it's a broader thing. Mm -hmm. Then we go to panel of experts. We've got some royal family news that we need to discuss on the podcast today. Very, very important and Uh relevant to our personal interests. (laughs) Obviously. (laughs) Obviously. (laughs) And then last but not least, we have the word of the week. And this week's word of the week is support. And so I wanted to kick off our discussion with a quick question for you. What has somebody done for you in the last couple of weeks that made you feel supported? Oh, man. Mm, man. Or if nobody has been supporting you for the last couple of weeks, <laughs> this is a safe place to admit that as well. <laughs> Gosh. I just think of friends who have sent me a text because it's harder to be in person right now. Right. And mm. so I just think of literally something as simple as a text saying, hey, how are you doing? Just yeah. checking in on you. Just thinking about you. That feels very supportive to me. Yeah. A buddy of mine, we play games most weekends and we kind of have this unofficial built in time to just like sit in a call and chat for a little bit. And that's been really good, especially like as I've spent the last 72 straight hours at home, like doing, which is like how the last year has been. Yes. I am going out of my mind and I needed someone to talk to other than my wife. And that felt really good. Yeah. My uh, wife and I last night got to spend a little bit of time together after the kids were in bed and our kids have been home from school because of the weather for the past seven years um <laughs> and so Fair. things are getting a little bit uh tense i guess sure. you'd say in the buyer family home with all of the uh, uh, added people in the mix and so yeah. just a little bit of like quiet time to spend with my wife and mm-hmm. the expression of solidarity that took place mm-hmm. yeah. in that conversation i think was very supportive sometimes you just need to hear from somebody else hey I'm on your side. I've got your back. Yeah, we're going to get through this together. That kind of vibe, right? It's good. So what's everybody drinking today? Kara, let's start with you. I have got a Yeti mug of some plain old drip coffee with some sugary creamer. Nice. I believe this week's brand is uh, Southern Butter Pecan. Oh, we get different ones all the time, but that's what this one is. Southern Butter. (laughs) That's good. I'm drinking a large drip coffee with a double shot of espresso in it. Um, (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Rocket fuel is not available for human consumption. (laughs) True. But I wanted something as close as I possibly could get to that. So a shot in the dark is what I'm working with Sounds about right. Rocket fuel is also very expensive. Yes. So for a slightly more economical option, (laughs) it's probably good. I've been really digging the almond steamers lately. I mentioned this a Mm. few episodes ago, but that's like my non-coffee cold day warm drink of choice. It's like my Mm. go-to hot comfort drink. Potential rabbit trail here. We were driving out to do something a couple days ago and we were going to stop by the coffee shop and get a drink 
And my wife asked what I wanted. And she said, do you want one of those hot Italians? <laughs> oh, and I was like, say what now? <laughs> Pardon. <laughs> she was mixing up the hot steamers that I enjoy with the Italian, yeah. Italian sodas, sodas that yeah. I enjoy. Oh, that and makes so it sense. became a hot Italian. Hot Italian. That's and my first funny. thought was like a literal Italian. Yes. Yeah. That's very good looking. <laughs> yes. This is Ronaldo. <laughs> My second thought was, oh, no, you mean like a hot Italian soda. And that didn't sound much better. No, that it, sounds pretty awful as well. You so should have funny. asked her to order a hot Italian and see what they gave her. I'm pretty sure that's going to be like my go to now. Yeah. Whenever she asks like what drink I want. Like, yeah. I just want a hot Italian. Hot Italian. <laughs> yes. Hook me up. That is awesome. All right. What's on repeat this week, Kara? What you listening to? Listening to The Name by KB and Corin Hawthorne. Oh, so KB has been on a roll making all this reimagined worship music lately. Mm-hmm. And I really like this one. The chorus is my favorite. I have to say KB's kind of ruined worship music for me now because <laughs> all of these power choruses that are just so yeah. beautiful and moving. And so now when I get to the chorus of like a regular worship song, I expect a beat to drop and it doesn't. <laughs> yeah, right. And I'm like, and the band goes. <laughs> okay. Only that though. From now on, like only Kara's interpretation of KB's music. I love it. It's great. I've been listening to Interruption by David Dunn. This is one of those songs that has kind of a weird electronic-y like computer-y <laughs> kind of start to it. Yes. And initially I heard that and I was kind of like I don't know. I really like David Dunn uh-huh. both as a musician, as a person. He's a cool guy. Yeah. But I wasn't really sold on that. But the bridge of this song where it's you are the interruption, you are the full destruction of my house of cards. Mm. I think it's just because the whole routine breakdown is so fresh to me right now. Mm. When I first heard that, I went from this song is kind of good to like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this song is good. It's so good. And it just completely rocks. So I've been listening to that mm. a lot lately. The lyrics to this song were one that definitely got my attention the first mm-hmm. time I heard it because yeah. it kind of sounded more negative than positive. It which does. is a little weird in Christian music circles. Mm-hmm. And I was kind of like, wait, what does he say? What you, what? Like, is he whine? Is he complaining? Is he <laughs> right. Like, yeah. He ta- and I think it took me a couple of listens to kind of get the vibe that he was going for. Yeah. This interruption. The song itself is kind of representative of that. It kind of Mm. interrupts, I think, the patterns of a lot of Christian music. My on repeat for this week is Without You by Social Club Misfits and Riley Clemens. Without you I'm just a house of cards so this is another one of those thoughtful, somber, pop hook, hip hop verse <laughs> collaborations. Mm-hmm. And we've seen a number of these over the last uh, several months and years. There's like Tadashi and Sarah Reeves, mm-hmm. Tadashi and uh, Crowder, mm-hmm. Lecrae and Tori Kelly, now Social Club Misfits and Riley Clemens. And I'm a sucker for these. Yes. yes. I love these. They're like super thoughtful and reflective. Yes. Uh, you've got the hip hop verse from the likes of Tadashi or Social Club. And then you've got the super infectious pop hook. Riley Clemens yeah. supplies that on the song yeah and i get it's a little formulaic there's kind of this pattern it's a crossover episode they're fun but i love them (laughs) they're so great they're some of my favorite songs Mm. and i love the combination of these two genres colliding Mm -hmm. that's really all i've got to say about it it's just one of those things where like you hear the song the hook sticks in your ear like the very first time that Mm -hmm. you listen to it and then you're just going to be humming it yep nonstop every time you hear it (laughs) from that point on yep yeah now it's time for a quick word from our sponsor. Did you know that research suggests that a 20 second hug can change your hormones, lower your blood pressure and heart rate and improve your mood? I, I don't think I knew that scientifically. Yeah. But I, I can say hugs are very nice. Nice yes. to get a good hug. Hugs yeah. are amazing and so many benefits. Unfortunately, 
hugging is not the most pandemic friendly activity. Mm, But I've recently discovered Acme Animal Cuddles. After filling out their hug survey, you're matched up with a cuddly animal that fits your hug tolerance level. Say you're in desperate need of a bear hug. Oh, dear. <laughs> wow, we're just going right for okay, it. Okay, yes. You're, you're a perfect match for the panda. Aww, so, okay, right, okay. like not a scary bear. bear. Okay. Oh, I like so that. cuddly bear. Yeah. I, I was starting to think of like grizzly. I instantly I went like to, Kodiak yeah. grizzly. Yes, <laughs> but panda is a little bit a of a panda. step back. so cuddly. <laughs> for lower hug tolerant clients, they recommend the llama because yes. you're a little more in control there. You can stick to a nice side hug if you prefer. Grass I was approaching the, the neck. neck. Yeah, it's yeah, <laughs> We're on the same page, like a neck hug there. (laughs) Neck hugs are good. And then at the extreme hug level, you can try the uh, octopus or python. Oh, God. (laughs) Acme Animal Cuddles Company is not responsible for any injury that might occur for the extreme hug level. (laughs) So whatever kind of hug you need, Acme Animal Cuddles has the perfect match for you. Find out more and take the hug survey today at acmeanimalcuddles.com. Words are in my not-so-humble opinion. Our most inexhaustible source of magic. The quote of the week. It's time once again to serve up a nugget of wisdom to snack on and maybe a few French fries too, because everybody loves French fries. My quote this week is about the gospel and self-care, both topics I've been reading a lot about lately. Self-care is a hugely trendy topic right now um, because of the pandemic and because we're all very, very aware. Hmm. We're all super stressed out. Mm But there's this funny thing that occurs, at least in my brain, and I think others with self-care, that it almost becomes this extra heavy thing that you have to carry and figure out how to do right. Mm. There's extra guilt associated with it almost. Mm. And that totally defeats the purpose. (laughs) I was reading an article this week. The title of it is The Gospel is Not Self-Care, talking about overcoming burnout. And this is an article by Matt Metevelis. He said, basically, the gospel is not self-care. It is care, period. Mm. The gospel is healing, freedom, life, and hope. And we all have trouble perceiving our need for it, asking for it, and accepting it. But as creatures, we're incapable of caring for ourselves. Only when an outside word comes to us and acknowledges our weakness can we even begin the journey of restoration. Burnt out candles do not relight themselves. Mm -hmm. Wow. I know. I really love that because... Honestly, it does feel like a unique kind of pressure to figure out how to unburn out myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I think self-care is good. Taking care of your body is like important and essential. But when it becomes this other thing that I have to get right in order to optimize my life, then mm-hmm. it becomes a burden. Right. The ultimate restoration that I need cannot come from inside of me. It has to come from outside of me. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. It kind of goes back to our conversation that we were having during word of the week in our last episode about the source of our value, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. Because I think this is very much tied up in that. If our source for our value is internal, then it does add a lot of pressure because it's like, all right, I am responsible for fulfilling my own desires and wants. And that's a lot of pressure because there are inevitably times where we are not going to be fulfilled, Yeah. then Mm -hmm. all of a sudden, not only do we feel sad because we're just in a difficult place in life, but to add insult to injury, it's our own fault. Yes. You're not doing it right. Right. Like if I was doing it right, I wouldn't feel sad. And so 
I have to figure out a way to self-care myself out of that. (laughs) (laughs) It doesn't really work. I have this perception of self-care that we've talked about before where it just feels like you're trying to sharpen yourself into this highly aerodynamic arrow and you're like trim all the fat and cut off all negativity in your life and surround (laughs) yourself with highly stretchy (laughs) materials where you can go faster. And that just doesn't seem the gospel seems entirely antithetical to that. You are not a highly tuned athletic machine. It's hard, though, I think. The culture that we live in because self-help and self-care and faith in humanity essentially is like the driving force of our culture. Mm -hmm. And so everything that we would ever aspire to, like getting thinner or being healthier emotionally, making friends, finding a partner, (laughs) all of these things that you might ever aspire to fall on your shoulders to complete. Exactly. You just need to diet better. You need to work out more. You need to to prioritize better. Consistent schedule, whatever the case may be. I feel like even in a very like humanistic perspective, if you do remove God from the equation, there still ought to be some sort of room for like sometimes stuff just happens to us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's not necessarily within our control. Exactly. But we we like to think like, no, we ought to be able to leverage control over all of these things. Yeah. Which is a nice thought. But then as soon as we bump up against an area where we can't leverage that control, mm-hmm. we're forced to reckon with yeah. our inability to control things. The self-care industry is a $20 trillion a year industry <laughs> built around the feeling that we all have intuitively that we're not whole and we're not enough. What they're saying is, here's how you can get there. Whereas what the gospel is saying is, here's how you've been made whole in me. Like, Mm -hmm. here's how you are a whole creature in me. And I Mm -hmm. think that those are completely diametrically opposed things. Like you can't mm-hmm. chase that while holding on to, but I'm enough in Jesus, but I can be more if I do this. Right. Like, yeah. that, <laughs> yes. that, that filling that hole yeah. still yeah. comes back to it. Like you can fill it. Yeah. Like, right. You, you can find something to put in there. Yeah. Oh yeah. And so it's still a self responsibility yeah. that yeah. you have. And inevitably we're going to fail at that, but mm-hmm. that responsibility always falls back on our shoulders until I think you introduce the gospel into the equation mm-hmm. and you go, no, this is all about something outside of myself that has to come into right. me to fill this. Mm. It's not something where I just need to shovel harder yes. to try right. to force things in there to yes. fill this hole that you're talking about, Isaac. Is it just me or it's probably just a case of the Mondays? Am I right? Now it's time for Is It Just Me? Reminding each other that no We're not total weirdo aliens for the one thing that we just can't stand or we don't like doing or we love doing. This week, something I can't stand. Okay, Um, let's hear it. Is it just me? Do you guys never want to make a phone call ever again? (laughs) Because I don't. If I could destroy every phone on the planet with one push of a button, I would. And I'm saying this fully recognizing that phone calls for some people how and ever in the world this happens are a good thing. <laughs> right. I approach every single one of them after I've done every possible thing I can do in that day before I actually do it. I feel as if I need to have a full content doc prepared to approach a phone call with somebody (laughs) like i need to bring material to the table Mm. to discuss or if i get called unexpectedly i'm like oh what am i okay what what have i done that's interesting in the last year and (laughs) uh, oh nothing Ah! and then i'm like 
hello, I'm a disappointment. How can I help oh. you? Like, it's just, I don't know how to talk. And the funny phone. thing is, like, do you have these same thoughts when you're talking to people in person? No, not at it's all. totally That's the different. Thing. Yeah, it's not at all. Because you still make small talk. You still have to do all of these things. But why right. is it so much worse on the phone? I need to be able like, to have painful. visual cues. Yes. And I need to be able to, like, see body language for how what I just said resonated. Yes. And I get none of that on the phone. It's just... <laughs> just like people nose breathing <laughs> i hate that does a zoom call work better a little bit since better. you get like a, a little, little bit of since i can kind of see people a little yeah, that is a really good insight though i think the body language thing is a big deal because mm. even with my husband you can ask my husband i'm a super awkward person on the phone with my husband he's like what is going on i'm like i don't know i just don't know how to talk on the phone like i can't yeah. see her face and so i feel awkward and then i feel the need to fill the space or not fill the space or i don't want to talk over you and i can't i just can't yeah uh, it's it's yeah <laughs> it's so painful let's dissect this for a second stereotypically hating phone conversations is like a very millennial thing yes right but older generations tend to say no we enjoy phone conversations the stereotype is like with baby boomers phone calls are a big deal because yes you get kind of a personal interaction with someone via the phone that you don't get with email or a text or something like that right but clearly technology that you're used to is a factor in this yeah, conversation sure. right they grew up with phone calls didn't have texts we grew up in an era where at least texts by the time we started to get our own cell phones texts were starting to become a thing right uh, i don't even know like what the like gen z take on phone calls is are they also anti-phone call or is it coming back at all my younger sister she's 15 she's kind of my metric for gen z i know that she does she'll facetime people i don't know that they zoom i think they do facetime, FaceTime. and snapchat maybe there's a little more of that they like snapchat us. the way we text like yeah. they, oh. they will snap back and forth all day see and i don't even i, I don't, don't like facetime or video calls or that Me kind neither. of stuff either like when yeah. we're on a zoom and i don't have to be like in the camera i'm like i'll just sit right out here I'll sit mm -hmm. in the yeah <laughs> yeah like, need to be a part of it yeah what, what is that specifically about like our generation that's so anti-phone call do you think i just think that it's the pressure to like have an entire discussion planned out or you've wasted that time or you've mm -hmm. like not brought enough to that conversation but i even at the same time stress out i needed to call our hr people to get a document or something for our taxes and i just dreaded that because i was like i'm gonna sound like an idiot because i don't know what i need <laughs> and it's just i think it's just if I have to talk digitally to somebody, I would rather do it through text. That yeah. way there's no pressure. I don't have to physically use my dumb, dumb voice to say <laughs> these dumb words. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, I hate it. I, mean, I, I totally it. agree with you. A thousand bazillion percent. I will put off making a phone call as long as humanly possible <laughs> yeah. or yeah. try to pawn it off on my wife, which yeah. she really loves or like yeah. whatever I can do yeah. to try to get out of it. Then here's my last like follow up question. Sure. Are we wrong sometimes? Okay. Yes, we all hate phone calls. Yeah. Maybe we shouldn't have to do them as much as society or other generations would like us to. Are there occasions where a phone call is a good thing and we need to buck up and get over it? Or we need to like <laughs> come to terms with like the fact that phone calls actually can have value? Yeah. Do you ever feel that? Or are you like full on? Nope, we should just cancel phone calls no, forever. I don't think we should cancel them. So first of all, my mom loves talking on the phone. My Same. mom would be on the phone with me right now. During the podcast. <laughs> like, that being said, I would always appreciate like a five to 10 minute warning of like, hey, I'm going to call you in a minute. Oh, like, that's true. I would be or like a, it's nothing 
something important, but I want to talk here in about five minutes. I'd be like, okay, I can okay. kind of get geared up for that. That's Makes cool. Sense. That's, That's cool. true. I but, do better if I can plan for it yeah. um, mentally and kind of get in the zone be like, okay, this is about to happen. Brian. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, One thing that this. I struggled with with phone calls, I remember back when my wife and I were dating, we were apart for the summer and we were mm. engaged. We've spent lots of time on yeah. the phone with each other, mm-hmm. right? So you're on the phone almost every night. The disconnect that my wife and I had is she very much treated the phone calls like we're going to be on the phone together but I'm also going to be doing other things and you're just kind of going to be like along for the ride and part of like my evening and what's happening. Yeah. And mine was very much like if we're on the phone, there's a purpose. We're like, yeah, the metaphor is like, we just sat down at a table together. We're having a one-on-one conversation. Very different approaches. And doing other things is rude, right? Because (laughs) you're taking away from our conversation. Her mindset was totally different than that. It was like, no, I'm just bringing you along for the ride for my evening. Like we're like, we're hanging out in a room together but not necessarily doing the same things yeah that was a major like phone oh, yeah. disconnect for us i struggled a lot with that i was like yep look if we're gonna be on the phone then talk to me he right. does that too but yeah the, the other problem was though is like if we're gonna be on the phone every night for two hours a night you run out of stuff to talk about yes, like, you, you do. cannot sustain that i still spend a lot of time talking to my wife and you should but after you know a decade <laughs> or so there are certain things that you already know about each other yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. you're not gonna have these like five hour marathon conversations just about right. like getting to know each other right no. then all of a sudden like it's like what do we do on the phone call and I, know. I guess for her it was That's, like well we'll watch some tv and fold some laundry and do some <laughs> Yeah. And I'm like, I, I don't like, get what is the, the point appeal of this? Of this. No. Yeah. Brie will be out on the road and she'll call me and expect to be able to talk to me like on her drive home, which I humor as best as I can. Aww. But I'm like head empty. No thoughts here. Like, I don't know yes. what to bring to this conversation because you, you ask what too. my day was. I'm like, well. I've been home. <laughs> okay, we, we, we need some been, like we, been we need like millennial extrovert we representation. Do, we yes, do. Yes, we do. Yeah. I would love to hear from some of our spouses or, or other people so who are in our generation. Yes. We should revisit this with like a person who enjoys talking. <laughs> we on should. Yeah. And I think there's still like my wife has said that there's still a little bit of like phone aversion for her. Okay. Like these like phone calls to like doctor's offices or HR mm-hmm. departments or things. She still doesn't like those. Yeah. Yeah. And yet she's more open to the idea. I think of a phone conversation than I am. Yeah. So I, I don't know. Maybe the three of us were just like we're all the, the wrong way side of possibly. the spectrum. We're like millennial and introverted. Yeah. And so it's like, but it's affirming to know that at least in this group, we are, <laughs> we are all three same. strongly anti phone. Yes. Yeah. So thank you. We uh, maybe we need to bring my husband into this conversation because he's much better. I don't know that he like loves the phone. But when he needs to make a phone call, he's gonna make it right then. He'll be like, I want to find out some information. I'm making a phone call right now, wow. and I'm always like. How do you he's do unstoppable. That? I know. I know. And he gets so much done because he's not avoiding all the <laughs> Good phone calls. Lord. Imagine having that kind of resolve. It's incredible. Oh, so maybe we need to bring him into this discussion. I would be president if I could. <laughs> Panel of experts. At no point in your rambling, incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought. Now it is time for another edition of Panel of Experts. They said we could be anything, so we became experts on everything. This episode, I'm going to force Kara and Isaac into attempting to be an expert on a topic that they may or may not know anything about. I'm ready. We shall see. So I got to get into character, character here. Yes. 
And welcome back to Celebrity News Tonight. I'm Tom Williams. The Duke and Duchess of Sussex announced on Valentine's Day that they are overjoyed to be expecting their second child with a due date at the end of spring. And to dive into all of the ramifications of this latest royal family bombshell news, we seek perspectives from both sides of the pond. Joining me on the show today from Bexley Heath, we have British royal expert Eleanor Nickerson. Eleanor, (laughs) thank you for joining us on the show today. Yes, quite happy to be here. Thank you. And also joining us live from Austin. Texas American cultural commentator Stetson T. Walker. Good morning to you. Howdy. Happy to be with (laughs) y'all. Happy to have both of you on the show today. Eleanor, let's start with you. I know you've been watching this developing situation with Prince Harry Mm -hmm. and Meghan ever since they resigned from Mm. royal life about one year ago. And at that time, of course, you had plenty of harsh words for the Duke and Duchess's choice to leave royal life behind and move to America. So I can only imagine what you're making of this latest baby announcement being made through non-traditional channels. They didn't go through the royal family. They shared this via their personal Instagram post of all places. Yes, it's it's quite sad to see the traditions of our monarchy breaking down so much. And the divisions within the family have been obviously well documented over the past few months. And, you know, we were all happy for them, of course. But what is becoming of the monarchy? What about these traditions. They're there for a reason. And moving right past them straight to Instagram, I think, really cuts at the heart of our nation and what we've built here. So there are some rumors that the Queen is pretty upset about this latest development. And you would come down on her side, it sounds like. Yes, I, you know, I think I would. I can understand. This is something she's spent her life building and trying to hold together. And to have your grandson throw it out without mm. thinking much about it has got to be really heartbreaking. Indeed. Now, uh, Stetson, I, I want to actually read back something you said on this program uh-huh. about a year ago in response to Mrs. Nickerson's assertions that Harry and Meghan's move to America was irresponsible. Here's what you said, and I quote, folks who'd shake a stick at Harry and Meghan for deciding to saddle up for their American adventure can go eat a steaming bowl of coddly <laughs> That's absolutely right. <laughs> and I'm wondering if you feel similarly or differently regarding Mrs. Nickerson's take on this baby announcement. You know what? I think it's wonderful that they're having a new baby. I think that's great. I think it's great that the king of england is going to be from america i love it they are living in california now yes that's fantastic i think that that's you know i get excited when a new baby's born just yesterday brad and jessica ferguson had their second kid gonna be a football star excited to see what's gonna come from this one now uh, eleanor i also want to read back a quote from you this one being from about six months ago you stated that um dull-minded colonists would do best to keep their dirty noses out of royal business. And I'm wondering if you still feel that way about uh, Americans like Stetson here interjecting themselves into conversations about the royal family. Yes, I understand. It's very fun to speculate on these things because everybody loves the royalty. But if you're not in the family, you don't understand all the dynamics. And so I think it's a little bit rude to just insert yourself into a situation you may not fully understand, no matter how many episodes of a certain TV show on Netflix you might watch. (laughs) Oh, that's pretty funny. First of all, I've seen all the crown (laughs) Second of all, they've inserted themselves into our culture. It's nothing but drag races and chicken wings from here on out for Harry and Meghan. They're here now. Why do you think they came over here? They wanted their baby born on U.S. soil for a reason. Let's move on to another topic. Eleanor, Her Majesty the Queen is 94 years old. Her husband, 99. It seems unlikely that they're going to be traveling to visit Mm. their soon-to-be grandson or granddaughter. And it's said, though, that the pair's oldest son, Archie, hasn't seen his royal relatives 
for a couple of years now. Do you believe Harry and Meghan have a responsibility to fly back over to the UK to see grandma? Or do you think grandma should come to America to see them? It's a courtesy, right? That they owe to their matriarch, really. And they are where they are in life because of her. And at the very least, they owe her that courtesy as a grandmother and much less as a queen. And Stetson, do you think the uh, Sussexes should visit Britain or the queen should come to America? Look, we go to Meemaw's on Sunday. I think the same standard should be held. You go see your grandma. It doesn't matter how far away she is. You go check in on her. So this may be something that you guys actually both agree with on yes, this one. Yes. Well, my grandma makes great food. I don't know what kind of food the queen makes. So it's debatable. I can assure you she has a quality team of chefs on staff that would treat the royal grandchildren well. It's still English food. <laughs> All right, Eleanor, let's turn our attention towards the second bombshell that came out recently. That is the reveal of an upcoming tell-all TV interview that has been uh, scheduled with none other than Oprah Winfrey. It's being said that the queen was not aware that this interview was going to happen, while the couple maintains that they are now under no obligation to inform the royal household of the interview since they are no longer working as royals. What do you think is going to come out of this interview with Oprah? Uh, you know, I just think, again, it's just really disappointing to see how Harry and Meghan have departed from their heritage and their history. And yes, taking advantage of the sensationalism around the royal family that's happening <laughs> right now. One kind of wonders if they're really using this to their own advantage a little bit uh, to gain some fame and popularity at the Queen's expense. And Stetson, uh, Oprah says the first half of the interview will be with Meghan only before Harry joins in. And she's been told no questions. Questions are off limits. What do you think Megan and Oprah are going to discuss first? Man, I just know that I can't wait. Listen, embracing trashy American television is one of the best <laughs> things I think they could do. Yeah. Frankly, I'm only upset that they haven't decided to go on Maury. I really hope that they discuss what Megan's life was like when she was on that show, Billions. I love that show. Or mm. I think it was something like that. It was just a good show. They wore a lot of fancy suits in it, too. So. <laughs> yes. Uh, what do you think about that idea, Miss Nickerson, that Megan and Harry should maybe even try out Maury, for example? It's just an example of them taking advantage of all of the sensationalism, not thinking about the consequences of the royal mm. family and how it might affect them back in England. Which I would argue is the most American way you could possibly be. They're just uh, becoming yes. more and more naturalized. <laughs> and maybe you both agree on this topic then, that they are becoming more and more American. It's just whether or not you embrace it or mm -hmm. whether it's yes. a breaking from tradition, perhaps. Yes, whether or not that's a good thing. <laughs> <clears throat> I'm just saying my blue healer could outrun a corgi any day. <laughs> Stetson, uh, Ms. Nickerson, thank you again for joining us on the program today. We'll chat with both of you yes, next time. My pleasure. Without much further ado, I give you the word of the week. And now it's time for this episode's word of the week. The word of the week is like a perspective potluck, but with words and ideas instead of baked spaghetti. Ooh. I'm a big fan of pasta in general. Baked Guys. spaghetti absolutely slams. Okay. It's so good. I big don't fan. No, if I've had baked spaghetti. Really? I mean, it's basically just spaghetti, but when you go to a potluck, you need to make it in mass oh, quantities, yeah. right? right? Throw it all in like a baking sheet mm -hmm. okay. and chuck it all in the oven. Okay. It's like a spaghetti casserole. I've kind had of thing. like you put all the mozzarella spaghetti. cheese over the top of okay. it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I got gotcha. you. There is often chicken in it as well because mm -hmm. chicken is like, okay. you know, the most economical meat, right? So it's just <laughs> yeah. Yes. You okay. take whatever you can get and you throw it in there. Okay, anyway, uh, this week's word of the week. <laughs> we should probably just start like a church potluck podcast. Ooh, we rate the just, foods, yeah. the different dishes. Yes. yes. Maybe we'll have to take That's this, an episode uh, that future. segment to the next level someday. There you go. The word of the week for this week <laughs> is support. There's a lot of places we could go 
with support. Mm -hmm. So let's just start with what does that word mean to you? I mean, we could define it by the dictionary, Mm -hmm. but I'm really more looking for what comes to your mind when you think of the word support. Where Mm -hmm. does your head go? My head goes instantly to like food drives, like passing out food to people who need it. So maybe not as much like interpersonal support, but community support. Yeah. Yeah. How about you, Kara? Yeah, I think more of like emotional support, interpersonal, relational, friendship, marriage, things like that. Yeah, I think I probably more naturally think of interpersonal support. That's interesting, though, that you specifically said emotional support. Mm -hmm. Um, I wonder if that's a little bit of an insight into each of the three of us and our own personalities Mm -hmm. and the things that we value, Mm -hmm. that when we think of the word support, we're thinking of these different arenas Mm -hmm. that are important to us personally. I know, for example, Isaac, community support is a really important thing to you. So -hmm. it's probably no surprise then that that's kind of where your head goes. For sure. I think it's like that checks the first box that leads to more opportunities for things like emotional and interpersonal support. Mm. Like it's hard to deliver that aspect when people are starving. Yeah. Well, maybe let's sit there for a moment then and talk a little bit about community support Mm -hmm. as maybe a lead into interpersonal support. Eventually, what does proper community support look like to you? Philippians 2.4 says, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Mm. Through 2020, I ended up following a bunch of people on social media who are focused on a concept of mutual aid, which mm. is basically collecting resources and distributing outward, mm. not through like this big nonprofit, but more just like Tom needs a shovel. Let's get Tom a shovel. Gary has a shovel that Tom can borrow. Let's connect that way. Mm -hmm. And I've joined some mutual aid groups in our area and I've started like a little micro one on my street. I borrowed a snow shovel yesterday because someone had a snow shovel and we exchanged some labor with that. So so it's really neat. The most easy example of it is people unprompted bringing snacks to a soccer game. They didn't make any Mm. money doing that. If anything, they spent their own resources doing that. But they're taking care of people Mm. because they're able to. It's just the most basic way, I think, to show compassion. I think it's really neat. We've spent a number of different podcast episodes and segments here on the show talking about division and how that extends out of families into communities, into nations, Mm -hmm. into the world. Mm. It just kind of strikes me that community support perhaps is a very good entry point into potentially repairing Mm. some of the divisions that have resulted from whether it's politically or socially or religiously. However, when you're talking about yourself and a neighbor sharing a snow shovel, mm-hmm. like your political views aren't really relevant. And so often I think like community support can become itself a political thing, right? Mm-hmm. Should the government be doing it? Should churches be doing it? Should nonprofits be doing it? How much tax dollars should be going to like we could have all these like policy discussions right, right yeah. around community support. But on a more personal level, lending your neighbor some flour or a snow <laughs> yeah. shovel. Yeah. That kind of support has got to go a long way towards bridging some of the divides that we've yeah. been talking about being so prevalent mm-hmm. in our culture over the last few years. And I think you touched on something like the big discussion. Well, who could do it the most effectively? And mm-hmm. I think that where we've maybe slipped as a culture is we've been so wrapped up in the most efficient way to deliver the most amount of resources to as many people as possible. And I think that we've offset a little bit of our own personal responsibility to take care of one another, assuming that, well, like the local food bank will take care of them. It's fine. Like, Mm -hmm. well, no, you have an opportunity to check in on your neighbors and make sure that they don't need to go out in the snow right now. Mm -hmm. And we've been able to sort of do that through my little micro group. And it's been so encouraging. We didn't worry about our street getting plowed or something like we made sure everyone had what they needed. And that was that was it. I found that even just trying has led to more connection in my neighborhood. And we all actually know each other now, which is Mm. really cool. 
And that wouldn't have happened if someone just hadn't said like, hey, does anyone need anything? Like that's such a good question to ask. You hit on something there that is important for people who are not as naturally passionate about community support. There's kind of a a fear factor there. Trying Mm -hmm. anything that you're not comfortable with is Mm -hmm. scary at times, right? And so stepping out and figuring out how to contribute to community support when it's not something that comes naturally to you, Mm -hmm. I think is something that I've struggled with. And I I don't know, Kara, if you feel the same way. Same. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to bother people, right? Which seems silly. Like if you're asking somebody if they need something, you're probably not bothering Mm -hmm. them. But in my head, it's like, I don't know them and how are they going to respond? And I'm not as good at initiating it. But yeah. I kind of really appreciate Isaac's initiation because when you initiate, then other people like me can be like, oh, okay, I can be a part of that. It's and not so scary. It's yeah. funny that you said you don't want to be a bother to because that's something that I found. And I know that other people that are in the mutual aid focus mm-hmm. have seen. It's hard to actually break down that initial barrier of letting people know it's okay to need something. Yes. Like that's been a big point of frustration. Like, no, mm-hmm. please tell me if you need milk. I have milk in my fridge that I want to give to somebody. I am waiting on someone to say like, hey, I need milk or eggs because I can give that right now. The problem is that we have this thing in our head where we need to be so self-sufficient. And it's like this personal failure to need something like we have the most stuff of anyone ever. (laughs) And it's okay if we distribute that to people who don't have it. But I think we've like locked ourselves into this thing of self-sufficiency at all costs. Yes, Mm -hmm. I I agree for sure. And it goes back to that self-help thing that we were talking about. Like that applies to beyond just, you know, community support to even interpersonal support or Mm. emotional support. We have this idea that we need to be self-sufficient, that we can self-help and that we don't need to rely on others. And you're right. I think that does play itself out in this reality where when people ask the question, how can I help? We don't know how to answer that question. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know if you guys have been asked that question yourselves. Like, hey, how can I help you? Mm -hmm. I don't know that I've ever successfully answered that question. (laughs) Yeah. Because either one of two things is happening. Either there is a need that I am aware of uh, that I could answer the question with. And I'm too afraid to admit it or say it or burden someone else with it. Mm -hmm. And so I decide, you know what? I'm not going to say what I actually need. Right. Or, and I I would actually say this one is true maybe even more often. I literally don't know the answer to the question. Yes. Someone says, how can I support you? And I'm like, I don't know. Yeah. Right. Like, yeah. I, I don't know what I need. Sometimes the answer is obvious. A lot of times it's a little bit less obvious. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I feel like has been some of the best advice that I've heard people say, when you want to support somebody else, skip the question, mm-hmm. skip the, mm-hmm. how can I support you question? Not that it's a bad question. It's a well-intentioned mm-hmm. question, mm-hmm. but we just, again, as a culture, don't really know how to answer it. Right. And yeah. so instead of asking someone, how can I help you take a shot, right. take a stab in the dark, a shot in the dark, a stab in the, I don't know, <laughs> I'm mixing metaphors, a stab in the shot, make an attempt to figure out what they might need and then just go for it and yeah. see mm-hmm. how it works out. You might not hone in on the thing that they need most, but I really think if we put just a little bit of effort into putting ourselves into someone else's shoes, yeah. we can figure out something that would be helpful to them. Yeah. For sure. And for whatever reason, sometimes being asked that question, how can I help? Almost adds to the burden that people feel <laughs> right. for being self-sufficient yeah. as opposed to just saying, hey, I got you this. Right. Yeah. Right. Not even giving them a choice in the matter. Like right. You don't get to decide whether you want to be helped or not. Right. <laughs> I just went ahead and helped you. Does right. that make sense? Oh, so. yeah, totally. Even if it isn't the thing that they need the most, the very act of someone else anticipating and seeing and just acting on their behalf takes some of the burden off of their shoulders. Like right. I didn't have to tell someone or ask someone that. 
So I don't feel like a failure. It's just someone being kind to me and noticing, yeah. hey, they're having a hard time. I should do something. Right. For them. Ordering them a pizza or yeah. right. whatever. You kind of just yeah. skip the question part and go straight to the delivering the of help. part. Yeah. 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 What does that look like on a more emotional level? Because we've seen <laughs> that my mind is instantly like give soup to people who need soup. <laughs> yeah. But I think that's because finding what other people need without them telling me is a little more difficult mm-hmm. than like just I see that you need shoes. I'm going to find a way to get you shoes. Yeah. First, I would just like to point out that I'm glad we started the conversation with physical, tangible support. Mm -hmm. Because I think for people like me or Kara, who are maybe more (laughs) on the interpersonal side of this equation, we have a tendency to skip over those needs. But sometimes you got to give somebody soup. Sometimes you got to make sure they have a roof over their heads or shoes Mm -hmm. on their feet Mm -hmm. before you can jump to this stuff, because otherwise it rings pretty hollow. Right. I mean, like you think about the Job story, this dude has like lost everything Mm -hmm. and his (laughs) friends want to come and just sit down and like philosophize with them. Like, great. That's really helpful, guys. Right now. So sometimes that's not useful when the person Mm -hmm. you're talking to is hungry. Right. You, you kind of got to solve that problem first. And so I, I'm mm-hmm. I'm glad we're, we're talking about it in this order because I think that's the order yeah. that yeah. needs to happen in. Agreed. But I also think you're right that once the physical need has been met, there is a responsibility to go deeper with that. Right. right. Like yeah. you could theoretically lend your snow shovel to your neighbor every time that it snows and never actually get to know your neighbor. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. There, there is a next step required there right. for a deepening of that support beyond just meeting the physical need. And that's where interpersonal support comes in. Yeah, I think so. It's interesting that question that you asked, what do you need? In college, I had an RD who used to ask me, how can I support you at the end of every single time we met together? Wow. (laughs) And I knew that she was going to ask it every time. And I never knew how to answer it because it was a very introspective emotional question. Mm -hmm. I mean, I I could have said something physical and she would have given it. But in my head, it was all about that. And I was always like, I have no idea. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of us feel that way, probably about each other. It feels overwhelming. It feels like I'm not going to be adequate to give what they need. And if they don't know what they need, how am I supposed to know what they Mm -hmm. need? Yeah. But I think that a lot of times it's simpler than we think it is. I feel supported when someone just asks me questions about how I'm doing or a certain Mm. thing I'm going through or whatever. If they're curious and allow me to talk, that feels supportive. Yeah, that's (laughs) a really good point. I do think you're right. I think sometimes we try to answer that question too deeply. I'm like, what do you need to feel supported? Uh, Well, I need... B- books or yeah, right. I need I you to, to preach yeah. things to me so that I remember how to live life good or like I, like I don't know what the what, what do I need I like, don't know yeah, a friend yeah yeah someone to talk to uh-huh. someone to like process life with yeah you can say like mm. well I need to talk to you I'm gonna have a hard day on Tuesday check in with me on Tuesday yes. That's yes. like you don't have to give this big profound answer to that and I think we get locked up in that because we don't have anything initially so we're like yeah. well this has to be a big cosmic question then. right <laughs> I think one of the things that I struggle with is I would go even further than saying I don't know what I need to saying that I'm not good at receiving Mm. what I need sometimes. I think sometimes I'm kind of bad at receiving support, especially from people other than my spouse. I feel like Mm -hmm. my wife, okay, we've established we have this very close relationship. And so it's a safe place to be vulnerable. But vulnerability is something that I struggle with a lot more Mm. in a broader context. And so when people say like, oh, do you need my instant response is like, oh, no, I'm fine. Even if I'm not. Oh, no, I'm I'm sure I probably have what I need and don't need to borrow anything from you ever because I don't (laughs) want to trouble you or show that I ever need anything. (laughs) And I guess it's just because I perceive that asking for support or admitting that I need support is a sign of weakness. 
Yeah. yeah. And I struggle with admitting weakness. I think that's a big part of the equation for me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I can sit down and tell my wife today was a bad day. Yes. Yeah. Which is basically a veiled form of, hey, I need help. Yeah. Right. As you're giving them an invitation. Yeah. To support you. Mm-hmm. But I had a conversation, a very brief one with somebody the other day. I asked him like, hey, how's your day going? And he's like, not, not good. Oh. Like, and I was like, oh, and it kind of like <laughs> got my attention because that was not the normal answer to that question right. no. so I was like what's going on and he told me about it and it wasn't that people were dying or it was just kind of he had a hard day and yeah. here's some things that happened at work that were kind of hard today and it was a little frustrating mm-hmm. yeah. and so i listened and asked a few questions and said oh man i'm sorry i hope that gets better like he's like thanks i appreciate that yeah yeah <laughs> we had a support conversation yeah. there yeah and it started with his willingness to be vulnerable yeah his willingness to honestly answer mm-hmm. the question and say it's not going great Yeah. And I didn't specifically ask, like, how do you need supported? And he didn't specifically ask, can you support me? But it happened because he expressed vulnerability. And I, being a person who has feelings (laughs) like most people, (laughs) expressed solidarity with him Mm. with the stuff that he's going through. And so I think vulnerability is a really important starting point if we want support to be exchanged. If we aren't vulnerable, then we're not going to have opportunities to exchange support with one another. Yeah. I have learned this the hard way because I, like you, Anson, have trouble asking for it. I feel like I'm better at noticing when others need it and giving Mm. it but I'm really bad at asking for it specifically just because of what we're talking about. I feel like I shouldn't need it. I feel right. like I should be self-sufficient. And so then mm-hmm. I feel ashamed when I need it and have to ask for it. Yeah. But over the last, I don't know, six or seven years or so through some therapy and through some really good friendships, I went through a few seasons. A breakup was one of them where I was having pretty severe anxiety. I was trying to ask for support in like a really veiled way. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> for my friends. And I actually got called out on it. And it was a good thing. They were like, listen, when you're having a panic attack, you cannot text me and say, hey, you want to hang out? Because <laughs> yeah. I don't know what is going on with you. Yeah. I'm like, well, I'm kind of busy. She just wants to like watch a movie or something. I'm, I've got this going on. But if you tell me like, hey, I'm not OK right now. Right. I'm having a panic attack. I will drop what I'm doing and come mm-hmm. help you. You have to use your words and tell me what you need. Yeah, Give people an opportunity yes. to be empathetic. Right. They can't do that if they don't have the information. Yeah. Like, and I am super good at withholding the information. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's really, really hard for me, but I've learned if I push past that discomfort a little bit and just say the words, send the text, even right. if it's embarrassing, yeah. even if I'm just having a bad day, my brain is kind of foggy. I'm having anxiety today. We pray for me. Just reaching out in itself releases some of that burden and yeah. pushing through the humility that it takes to do that. I'm definitely in the camp of it's easier to try at least to give emotional support than to receive it. Yeah, I've thought critically enough about this. It's definitely from a place of a fear of vulnerability and intimacy with people. Ooh, that's because good, yeah. if I'm in the position of give, 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 I don't have to flip the camera around to me and be mm-hmm. like, okay, what does Isaac need? Yeah. Right. Because that's where things get hairy and I don't really have control of where we go. Yeah. Because I can be my own PR guy and frame like, no, 
he's doing good. He's doing great. We're doing fine. How are you? And kind of like <laughs> redirect, redirect. Yes. But when that gets flipped around, if I have to critically assess myself uh-huh. with someone else sitting there, like the how is your day question? Oh, living the dream. Or right. I'm yeah. kind of tired. The I'm kind of tired yeah. could contain multitudes, but oh, yeah. you don't ever explore yeah, that. Some, sometimes we like yeah. kind of code vulnerability. Code. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we pretend code. that there's vulnerability. Yeah. yeah. Like we kind of say, oh, well, I'm a little tired today. I have a headache. Yeah, today. things don't always go perfectly. But, <laughs> right. But that's still a far cry from what we're actually feeling or what sure. we're actually code. walking. Through. I'm really struggling and well, I need your help. Right. Sure, right. Yeah. And I just think, look, if you're having trouble actually coming out and saying i need help because i get that's a really really hard thing to say and i really struggle saying it yeah at least just be honest you don't have to ask for help just state your condition right yeah yeah and and do so honestly right if if you can't say hey i could really use your help right now just state this is where i'm at right and then you will probably be surprised how quickly other people will volunteer their help Yep. Even when you didn't explicitly ask sure. for it. And I've thought about that and thinking about how I'm really just shooting myself in my own foot. And right. I think we all are, <laughs> because if we've all been given this command to help each other, mm-hmm. but we've all acknowledged that we're terrible at being helped. Mm-hmm. What happens? Like, w- do we just sit in this nasty cycle of like, well, I really want to help Anson, but I have no idea what he needs. And then Anson is like, well, Isaac seems like he's got it all together. He's helping other people, <laughs> yeah. but I don't know how to help him. Like if we just pulled ourselves out of the dumb, vicious cycle yep. and said like, okay, not having a good day, not I'm tired, not, not it's hard right now, but just really say this has happened. Yeah. My car broke down. I am having a hard time talking with a friend over something pretty mm-hmm. important. That's enough. That's something yeah. to work mm-hmm. with. You might not fix it, but at least that person will then have one more person on their Rolodex of people who care about them. That's been demonstrated. Like, yeah. I know that Anson cares. Like, that's cool to know. Sometimes we need to meet some tangible needs, yeah. but sometimes just knowing somebody cares is yeah. really what you need mm-hmm. in a given situation. Like, when I say I'm walking through a really hard thing with a family member right now, I'm not expecting you to jump in and mm-hmm. say like, well, let's call her up then. Like, <laughs> <you> know, <laughs> that's been not how Confront. that go. Yeah. Right? Like, I'll help you with that. Like, yeah. no, the support in that situation is saying, oh, I've been there or I know what yes. that's like or I feel for you. It's just the expression of care. I'm yeah. sorry. That is so hard. Right. That goes a long Those way. Those are good right? words. Yeah. <laughs> and that actually leads me into something that I, I want to ask you guys about. I want to kind of flip this discussion on its head for just a moment. Mm-hmm. We've been talking, obviously, about how in most cases we need more support. We need more of this. Mm-hmm. Are there ever cases where we actually need a little less of it. And here's what I mean by that. Are there occasions where perhaps we are tempted to give support to others, maybe in an unhelpful way, in in the wrong way? Is it possible to give either too much support or an inappropriate type of support to somebody? Uh, And is that something that you could identify like in your own life? Is that something that you've ever struggled with? Giving the wrong type of support to someone? Yes, it's called codependency. (laughs) Yeah. 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 I think it's really hard to not want to fix everybody's. For me, I feel people's emotions pretty deeply, especially with the people close to me. It's hard to not want to manage that all the time mm-hmm. and keep them from having a bad experience at all costs. <laughs> like, yeah. In my head, sometimes that's how I live. I must make sure that they are happy at all times and manage their emotions. And that's not a healthy kind of helping. Like, no. We all have to experience life and we can't protect each other completely from those things. So well, support doesn't mean 
protection in that way. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. I would say that's how I normally go about things. Cause we've just talked about how we use support as a way to sort of redirect attention from ourselves. So yeah. like if the only thing I'm doing is trying to support, so I don't have to self evaluate, mm-hmm. of course I'm going to be over supporting. And mm-hmm. of course I'm going to be fostering mm-hmm. that codependency. Like that, that's the only option. If you're going all gas, no brakes in that direction alone. Yeah, of course. Yeah. You're going to over support. I think it's just a way of not looking mm-hmm. at yourself. Yeah. I think we also have to be aware of the ways that we are most naturally inclined to support others Mm -hmm. and we can absolutely operate within those strengths when it's appropriate but we also have to be aware of moments where it's less helpful yeah like my personal example is i love giving people advice yeah yeah. and in fact i'm going to try to practice appropriate humility as we discussed on the show last time (laughs) and say i think i'm pretty good at giving advice Mm -hmm. that is a strength of mine i give good advice there is a time though (laughs) where giving even good advice to people is un helpful. It's yeah. actually unsupportive. I think back again to like the story of Job. Job did not need advice. Yeah. No. That was not the thing that he needed when he lost his home and his entire family and was sitting in sackcloth and ashes on the yeah. ground and the trash. Like yeah. he didn't need advice in that moment. <laughs> yeah. And yet I probably would have been Job's friend coming up and saying like, well, have you thought about doing this differently? Or like, <laughs> right. Yeah. Like that's my thing. I'm fortunate, for example, to be married to someone who really likes getting advice and that works mm. out well for us, but she doesn't always right. need my advice. Yep. And many of my friends don't always need my advice. Mm. And so sometimes it's not the right time or place or method of supporting others. And I have to remember that. And I have to go, okay, you probably have some really good advice in this situation, (laughs) but this is not the moment to share it. Mm -hmm. They need a different type of support right now. You're going to have to stretch yourself, go to a different type of support that maybe you're not as comfortable with, like shoveling their driveway or ordering them a pizza or just saying, wow, I really feel for you. Right. Like instead of jumping straight to the one that you feel most comfortable with. Yeah. And I think no matter whether it's giving advice or meeting physical needs Mm -hmm. or whatever, there are times where we have to recognize, okay, I have to step outside of my core way of supporting others yep. into an alternative because that's what this person really needs in this situation. Right. I'm kind of the opposite, Anson. I want to physically do something. Every problem that Bree has brought to me, I'm always like trying to calculate, okay, like what can be done to fix this? Mm-hmm. And dude, like 99% of the time, it's just you're listening to her and that's enough right now. And that is so frustrating. <laughs> Believe me, if shoveling a driveway could fix every problem in her life, dude, you would, would have the cleanest driveway. <laughs> but it's just not. There's not something I can physically do or paperwork to fill out for her. It's just, nope, I'm listening and <laughs> like just listening as you're steaming. Mm. Okay, stop, calm down, let her talk. I think you guys make a really good point because, okay, if I'm supporting the other person, then I need to be doing what feels supportive right. to them. <laughs> right. It's about because them, not us. Otherwise, right. yeah. Yeah, otherwise, it's not really support. It's just me making myself feel better that exactly. I did a thing, which isn't helpful. It's funny. I struggle the opposite way. I've learned that I give emotional support really well. So I do good with just listening and empathizing mm-hmm. and uh-huh, uh-huh. Oh, that really stinks. I'm really sorry. And for some people, that's great. And then for others, they're like, no, I need you to like, tell me something practical here. I need you to like, give Mm -hmm. me feedback. Mm -hmm. I need you to engage in this with me and get your hands dirty a little bit. And I'm always like, oh, (laughs) that's not okay. I don't know how to do that. They actually feel unsupported (laughs) Mm. when I only give all that really stinks. Maybe that uh, emotional support is good for a period of time, but maybe eventually you get to a point, uh, particularly in a close relationship, perhaps where this is like an extended conversation where you go, okay, we spent the last week like feeling for each other (laughs) and that's really good 
but now I actually have to make a choice or like right. I have to do something. Right. What do you think I should do? Or like, yeah. you know, and, yes. and you do have to eventually kind of take that step from point A to point B with a person. Yeah. And that's where I struggle a little bit because I never want to tell someone what to do. I'm yeah. like, well, I am just, you know, I am just here to listen and empathize and support you. And then yeah. it's like, no, sometimes you need to be practical as well. I feel like in my life with certain people, I have had someone say, oh, I'll pray for you. As kind of a, this is the end of where our conversation of this goes. Sometimes it's felt like I'll pray for you about that kind of as a dismissive, dismissive like, yeah. this is where my help ends. You're getting no more from me. And I couldn't help but feel bad about hearing that. And that's with knowing the power of prayer and the valid need for prayer. Yeah. But it's felt like in that moment, hearing, oh, I'll be praying about that for you. That <laughs> just has hit me as dismissive and kind of meh. Sometimes, you know, I agree. And I felt crazy over that because I know that that is a powerful thing. Like they're saying that they're going to God about this for me. Why don't I feel that way, though? You know, personally, I think a big reason why we don't always feel that way is because we don't believe people are actually doing it. Yeah. If I can confess to something here, (laughs) part of the reason that I don't believe that everyone else is doing it is because I'm not always doing it. Like, so when I tell people, I'll be praying for you about that. How often do I actually do it? Yeah, exactly. I have sometimes. Sometimes. Mm -hmm. I have also not a lot of times. Yeah. 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 Probably most of the time, if I'm being honest. Oh, yeah. So Mm -hmm. if I'm not doing it, what reason do I have to believe that other people are doing it? Yes. Uh, And maybe other people are better than me. Probably they are. But (laughs) I think there's this kind of assumption on everyone's part. Okay, yeah, I know what it's like to say that to someone and then not do it. Yeah. And so that's where the dismissiveness comes from. Yeah. It's like Mm -hmm. if you're just trying to say something to me to sound supportive, but then you're not actually going to do it. Yeah. That's an abuse of support. Like that's actively harmful. It's not even neutral. Yeah. Yeah. Like imagine if Isaac comes to me and is like, we're really struggling today. I'm Mm. like, oh, I'll get you a pizza. And then I don't. Yeah. Right. Like, right. I'll I'll order you a pizza for dinner tonight. And then he never hears from me again. Right. Right. Were you going to send that? No response. Now (sighs) I've gone from being not just unsupportive, but actively harmful to his situation. Right. And I think that when we do this to people, we say, I'm going to pray for you. And then we don't. That's what we're doing. We're offering our support and then we're failing to follow through. Mm. It'd be better if we just said nothing at all. Yeah. You're dead on with feeling that way because we've done it ourselves. But I've taken prayer as a substitute for physical action where I think often it should be seen as a primer for physical action because... When I've prayed over someone for a long time, I've just assumed that that's me doing my part. And that's not a moment where God could then say, okay, here's what you're going to do here, Mm. or at least put them more on my mind. Because when you're praying for someone, they should be the focus of your attention on that. And you should be receptive to what God then moves you to do. Not right. God, I really pray that someone gives Anson a pizza. Like maybe, (laughs) maybe dwelling in that moment, you might. Wait a minute. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. I can do that. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think there That's are good. a couple of different things that can really help in this area. One is offering other, maybe more tangible examples of support to people alongside prayer. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be either or. Mm-hmm. It can be both mm-hmm. and. So we can offer emotional support. We can offer physical support. We can offer spiritual support. Yes. And we can do all those things together. Right. right? And so yeah. if I say, I'm going to be praying for you, Isaac, also here's a pizza. Right. That comes off differently yes. than if I just say, I'll be praying for someone to give you a pizza. Right. That's a lot different. So I do think that's a big one. I think the other thing is, and I want to say this carefully because I think you could get into trouble with this or you could misuse this. 
But I think it could actually be very appropriate at times to let other people know that you're praying for them literally when you did it. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Like if I tell Isaac, hey, I'm really sorry you're walking through this thing with a a family member or whatever. Mm. I'll be praying for you about that. And then like the next day Mm -hmm. I text Isaac and say, Uh hey, I just prayed for you and your family. How's it going today? Right. Like that all of a sudden changes things completely in my view, because now I'm demonstrating to Isaac, not that I'm spiritually superior or that I'm, you don't want it to become like a boastful thing, right? right. Oh, I'm doing what I said. And I want you to see that I'm doing it kind of a thing. (laughs) It's not about me, but if I make it about you and say, no, I am praying for you. I want you to know that because I want you to feel spiritually supported. Seen and engaged with. Right. And all of a sudden, Isaac just got a text that said like, wow, Anson is still thinking about me after our conversation that we had yesterday. Right. You're not forgotten. Which is support. That's a good thing. Like he is actually doing what he said he was going to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I I think demonstrating that to each other could actually be a really healthy thing Mm -hmm. when it comes to this offer to pray. The last thing that I want to do is say like, we shouldn't say that to each other. Yeah. I think that would be an overcorrection to right. the problem. To yeah, say like, yeah, oh, yeah. we shouldn't pray for each other. Or we no. shouldn't tell people that we're going to pray for <laughs> right. each other. But when we do, try to combine it with these other forms of support. Combine mm-hmm. it with a physical show of support or an emotional show of support. And that emotional show could literally be letting them know that you are actually following through on what you right. said you were going to do. Yes, there's somebody on our team here that is so good at that. And anytime, I'm always shocked anytime <laughs> I tell her about a situation in life, even if I don't ask her, to pray for me specifically. She'll send me a text mm. multiple times a month. Hey, I'm really thinking about you and your husband and praying about this. And I'm like, what? Like, I'm always yeah. surprised. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, you actually are doing that. It is always encouraging to me. It's always helpful. It doesn't feel dismissive at all. It feels very like, wow, she remembered. Yeah. <laughs> thought about me. That's something that I want to embody and sort of break out of the habit that I have of maybe not recognizing the weight of what I'm saying when mm. I tell someone I'm praying for them. That's good. Because I've, I, I know how yucky that feels now. Yeah. And I, I've, I've really thought about that. And I think acknowledging that that means I'm starting this process of helping you with prayer and we'll see where we go from here. Yeah. Mm, so, so actually like be intentional when we say that to people. Yeah. Hey, I'm going to be praying for you. Really? Mm. I actually yeah. am. <laughs> and I'm going to try to do everything else in my power to support you as well. Right. Mm. Like, And if we can communicate that to people, both with our words and then follow it up with our actions, mm-hmm. yeah. I think that would completely change the dynamic of, mm. hey, I'm praying for you for sure. We are going to wrap up the podcast by filling in the blank. Instead of drawing a blank, we're going to fill one in. So here is our fill in the blank after our conversation on support. A supportive habit I want to develop more in my life is what? I'll start. How about that? Yes. I want to develop the skill of physically supporting people like Mm. Isaac was talking about. I think that's my weak spot. Definitely an area of growth in my life. It's a good one. I'm going to do a prayer as a starting point in relationships. Mm. Cause I think that it's something that I've done. That's why I can recognize it when it's been done to me, but I'm going to actually take that further. And this is similar to both of yours. It kind of combines them, but I want to develop better follow through. Mm, So whether that that is prayer, texting, giving coffee, whatever it is, like I want to actively like follow through and follow up and not just say, I did my part and move on. I love that. The follow through means so much. It's one thing to hear someone say nice things when you admit that you're struggling to them in a moment, Mm -hmm. but most normal, nice human beings Mm -hmm. should do that. Right. Like it's above and beyond when all of a sudden someone comes back to you of their own volition Mm -hmm. and says, Hey, haven't forgotten you. Yeah. That's really powerful. Yeah. 
All right, let's go get some baked spaghetti. Yes. Thanks for listening to the Really Real Podcast. Get more content or air your grievances in the Real FM Insider Facebook group at real.fm slash insiders. Now, don't finish folding your laundry. And if you're done with that, could you uh, help me with mine? Tune in next time to hear Anson, Kara, and Isaac say, Are we hot or cold? I'm medium well. (laughs) 